0: The baby trend Cover Me 4-in-1 Convertible Car Seat. This car seat is so unique. It addresses the number one complaint by experienced mothers, which I believe I am, which is sun in your kids' eyes, which is something that, of course, drives them nuts, and you're not going to want to put, like, what baby sunglasses on. That's never really worked for me. Um, Along with the canopy, the Cover Me has a usage rating from 4 to 100 pounds, so you can use it for a long time, and can be used infant rear-facing, toddler rear-facing, forward-facing, and belt-positioning booster. The CoverMe also has a very convenient recline system, which includes a zero radio base and integrated recline flip foot. I don't exactly know what that means, but that's okay. The system allows the children to find a position comfortable to them and also limits the amount of space taken up by the seat when in rear-facing position. Basically, it's just an amazing car seat, and I wish I had had this when my kids were little enough to fit into car seats. It makes parents' and kids' life much easier— It's just amazing, Um, and it has a UPF 50-plus on the canopy, so your kids don't get a sunburn either. So your kids will love sitting in it. They can interact with everybody in the car, and it protects you both rear and forward-facing. There is a special 20% off code, which is COVERME20, if you go to babytrend.com slash OSA, O-S-S-A. That's H-T-T-P-S double slash babytrend.com slash O-S-S-A and put in the code me 20 capital C, cover, capital M, me, the number 20. Also, I'm giving away one of these car seats. So if you or anyone you know is having a baby soon and would like a new car seat, which is something that you have to get when you, as soon as you're pregnant, um, I am giving one away. To win the giveaway, just write a review and give a rating to my podcast, preferably a five-star rating and a really nice review if you don't mind. Extra credit if you do the same thing for my Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight podcast and my Moms Don't Have Time to Have Sex podcast. If you write, uh, if you could do five-star ratings and reviews for all of those podcasts, oh my gosh, um, you will definitely be at the top of the list for entering this giveaway, and then we will pick at random. So, enter the giveaway, use the code if you just want to get the percent off and order it right away. And again, Baby Trend Cover Me 4 in 1 convertible car seat. Go for it. Welcome to another day of my podcast, Book Blast. Today, I'm featuring a bunch of events that I did live that are now podcasts. So, they might have a slightly different audio sound or whatever, but they're all grouped together by recent events I did that are worthwhile listening to, for sure, on this podcast. So go back and listen, and if you want to watch them, they're all available on YouTube or Facebook or anywhere you find all my video content, and you can get to them also through Instagram. Anyway, enjoy these previously live events now recorded. I recently did a live event with Derek Kurtz and Bess Kolb. Dara is the author of I Am My Mother's Daughter, Wisdom on Life, Loss, and Love. And then Bess is the author of Nobody Will Tell You This But Me, A True As Told To Me Story. I had Bess on my podcast when her book came out, and now it is out in paperback everywhere books are sold. I hope you enjoy our event from the JCC and get to know these two authors better. Hi. <laughs> well, it's so nice to be chatting with the two of you. I would love for you to tell the audience a little bit more about your books in case they haven't read them, which they need to hurry up and go do after this. But give a little more background, if you will, on what the book's about and maybe why you
2: were chosen here for a JCC event. Beth, do you want to go first? Oh, I, w- I was going to seed the floor to you. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I for a little background, it's a t- it's a sort of tough book to categorize. It's called a true as told to me story because it's neither a memoir nor a novel, which are generally the two things that books are are categorized as. This is my grandmother's life story told in her voice from beyond the grave to me. So it's my grandmother telling me about her life before me, growing up with her mother impoverished in Brooklyn, and then her stratospheric American dream story with my grandfather in New York. And it's the story of a very tough relationship with her daughter, my mother, and a very close relationship with me. And so it's told in dialogue and voicemails and fights in Bloomingdale's dressing rooms and all of the ways that my grandmother and I really interacted in life. It's put into this book. And there are pictures, too. So it's a quick read. (laughs) But that's that's a summary of a complicated book about a complicated woman. How about you, Dara?
3: So beautiful, Beth. So. My mom passed away a few weeks after I had my first daughter and I was 28 at the time and living in the world without her has really been one of the greatest challenges of my life. She was my person and when I had my daughter, I found myself in this space where I was thrilled to be a new mom and just devastated at having lost my mom and I didn't know how to navigate through that and life went on. I was blessed to have another daughter. but. I always say that grief followed me around like my shadow because it was always there and could bubble up at just, you know, any opportunity. And around the 20th anniversary of my mom's death, I remembered that I had a Ziploc bag of letters in my house. And we can talk about later how this all came to be, but the letters were written to me when I first went to Camp Blue Star when I was 9 years old until I graduated from college and they were mostly written by my mom and my two grandmothers, the three Jewish women who had loved and raised me. And finally, one night having the courage to open that bag, I was blown away by what happened next. And I sat literally on the couch and cried what Oprah calls the ugly cry, just (laughs) sobbing, sobbing, but I couldn't stop reading. And there were over a hundred letters in the bag. And I felt like, I was having a conversation with my mom and my grandmothers. I could feel their personalities. I could hear their voices. And it really changed everything for me. And I felt like there was a book there. I had absolutely no plans on writing this book. At the time, I was working on another project. And I literally sat in this room behind me. There were I had over a hundred letters behind me on the table. They were sorted in different piles. And I just sat here and wrote and sobbed and just am so grateful for the whole experience, really.
0: I mean, both of you really raised the point with your books of how to keep someone's memory alive and how to keep their voice alive, which is so much more specific than just thinking about them, right? Their voice is what that's what makes us who we are. And it's something that is so elusive after you've passed away. And so finding ways to channel that and, and write it or copy and paste it from a letter or pretend that it's this is what she would have said or how she would have thought seems to be one of the most powerful tools that we can use to blunt the impact of grief. Do you find that it's helping even still? Like when you think, because now you've taken the memory of a loved one and it's not that you've, just cemented it. You've given their, you've given them to all of us as well. Do you feel, how has that been for you personally?
3: Yeah, for me personally, I really struggled with how to bring my mom into my daughter's lives. And I mean, that was something, my daughters are now 21 and 18, but at at the time when they were young and I was trying to teach them, you know, this is grandma Terry. And that's the name that I, 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 Used to introduce them to my mom, I had pictures of my mom around the house and I would talk about her, but I really struggled with, you know, how can my daughters get to know my mom? Not just a picture of her, but who she was and, and, and what she sounded like and, you know, all of the things. And so for me, writing this book and and, and having the ability to sort of put her personality on the page and give my daughters the ability to sort of hear her voice, I think has been just an amazing gift for my family personally. And and just so many people have told me how much they can hear their loved ones in my relatives' voices. And I love that so
2: much. Yeah, Dara, I mean, I feel like, I feel like we've had these parallel experiences at different times in our lives and, and hearing you talk about this is, it's like looking into a mirror. <laughs> I I really, and I'm, I'm so glad to, and that was so beautifully put and ex- exactly the goal that I have. You've, your daughters are, are older now. My son is 20 months old and this book happened. I finished this book during the first trimester of my pregnancy with him. And it was exactly the project that you describe. It was trying to get him to know my grandmother who raised me, who stepped in and took care of me when my mom went back to work at her medical residency when she was, when I was six weeks old. And so my my grandmother was this sort of guiding force in, in my life and it was unimaginable to me that my son wouldn't know her. And the book ends with this sort of projection of what she would think about me as a mother. And it was really all she talked about. And I I mean, I I just, I relate to this experience in, in a different generational way. My, it was not my mother, it was my grandmother. I truly can't imagine what it would have been like to not have my mom. And I, I, I can't, I can't empathize with that. I, I, I mean, that is, that is a, a shattering thing. And I, I can't wait to get into your book and, and, and go on that journey with you. But my grandmother was somebody who nudged me in this indirect, non-motherly way, in a distinctly grandmother way of, when are you going to have a baby? When are you going to have a baby? And that she wasn't there when my son was born was was really my nightmare. And so this book is dedicated to two people. The dedication says, thank you, Grandma, and for Theo, and for my son. Yeah, so, so it really was a project to bring them together as much as it was for me to connect to her voice, it was for this sort of literary introduction of two people who would never meet. And then to have these people, to have this, this woman out in the world for so many other people, it's exactly what you said, Dara. It's this idea that you know, the biggest fear is this won't be relatable and this won't be interesting to anyone outside my immediate family. And then to have people write on Instagram and to DM me saying like, this is my grandma, this is my relationship, I feel less crazy because this, this love story between grandmother and granddaughter, distinctly Jewish grandmother and Jewish granddaughter feels like it resonates and feels personal to so many other people and starts feeling universal in a way that, that makes me feel less alone in my grief. And so I'm I'm super grateful for that experience to share her with so many people. Beth,
3: yes, you know, you said something that really resonates with me. You said that you just the thought that your son wouldn't get to know your grandmother and that you talked she talked about that like what it was going to be when you became a mom, I can absolutely relate because my mom would always say to me, "One day when I'm a grandmother, I can't wait to be a grandmother. We're going to yeah. do all these amazing fun things, blah blah blah." And literally like the same weekend that I found out she had stage four melanoma, which is a form of skin cancer, I found out that I was pregnant, like literally the same weekend. And so like the sicker my mom got, the bigger my, be- my belly got. And it was almost like parallel, but I think that's what made it even more devastating. The loss was just the, the unrealized dreams, if you will, and all of the fun that she had looked forward to that we were gonna have together just like what you said, that not knowing that she wasn't going to get to be there to, to see you be a mom. It, it For me, it was just a devastating, really challenging thing for me to, I've struggled my whole life with it. And if it wasn't for this bag of letters, I mean, that's really 20 years after my mom's death. That's when I finally was able to sort of give myself permission to make peace with her death and it it was a game changer for me
0: well as you guys have been talking i've been realizing that i also have these bags and actually it's in a a tupperware type giant box in my closet but i lost my grandmother recently she was 97 you know but we were super close she's who i would call my parents went out all the time and i wouldn't be able to sleep and i'd call her in palm beach you know (laughs) kagi i can't sleep you know she'd be like it's okay." Actually, what she said was, "So, so you'll, you'll be tired, you know." I'm like, "Okay, fine." Anyway, but I have all these camp letters from her, and I'm like, "Oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll blend your books. I'll just like have to put my letters of my grandmother together, and there we go."
2: I fully endorse. I mean, I, I think <laughs> that I, I, I think that we've sort of. Hit on not just a, a book strategy, but a, a grief strategy. It's what better way to I, and I think just as a personal project, whether or not it becomes a book, it's something I really recommend. Not from a clinical perspective. I wasn't really going to make a book. I, I'm not going to. No, no, but I think I think it is something that like and and maybe people who are joining us today, there is something about about reconstructing conversations and diving back into those memories and being reacquainted with the voice of somebody who's gone that is so healing and also a great way to honor that person. They're not lost in that moment. You are back in that conversation and yeah I mean also that's great advice she gave so you'll be tired is kind of exactly what my therapist says but I'm like I worry about my insomnia she's like what's the worst that can happen you'll be tired I, I think
0: about that all the time all the time <laughs> I often like get up in the middle of the night and I'm like my brain starts going of all these things I have to do and I'm like oh, I'm wasting so much time I should just get up and do all these things and I just hear her saying what's the worst that happens you know and I'm like you're right well, I mean nothing nothing bad is gonna happen I'm just gonna have a bad day it's like okay <laughs> um, the, thank god
2: for grandma one of
3: the things I love so much about re- reading the letters was that my mom wrote a lot of those letters when I was, when she was raising her kid. When she was raising me and my brother. And so I was nine years old when she first started writing these letters. And I got to know her from my adult perspective when I went back and I read those letters. And just to be able to get to know my mom better, to get to know things about her that I never knew from my adult perspective, I mean, that for me was such a gift that I I would never have thought if you had said to me, Dara, you know, you have these letters, because I've had them for 20 years. It's not like they just randomly appeared. I mean, they've been in my possession. I just didn't pay any attention to them. I didn't think that there was any value there. And I'd forgotten about them. If you had said all of the amazing things that I would have gotten from reading, if I had known about that. Oh, I would have opened that bag up a long time ago. But just to be able to get to know someone that you loved so much and you didn't know things about them and they passed away, I mean, for me, what a gift.
0: This is why I worry about, like because we all have kids. like I have four kids, you two. I mean, I don't sit down and write long letters, longhand ever to my kids, I don't think there would be a single one. And not just with grandparents. I mean, every time I lose somebody I love, the first thing I do is take an inventory of like what I have, right? Like, and I see, do I have cards they sent me? Do I have like, what do I, what's what's left? And I kind of like make a pile or something. And then I'm like, well, maybe I should be writing more letters to my kids. I mean, what are they going to do? Like copy and paste from my Instagram account?
2: (laughs) I truly, I I feel that. I'm like, there are some loving tweets that I've sent about make
0: Exactly, right? Yeah, this is how you get to know me. Look at what I posted last week.
2: (laughs) I know. It's... My cousin, who is like a sister to me, gave me this baby book when my son was born, and she was like, I'm so glad that I had this from, from my mom and write down everything. And I was like, yes, I will I will write it. I will write it all down. It literally is like trouble feeding today. <laughs> and I, I sort of let him down in that respect. But I, I think I love the camp letter format, and I feel like that is something that I still have the camp letters that my parents sent me. And I know that like, I feel like that's when I'll shine when I really miss him when he's like a teenager and away for the first time, which is inconceivable. He's like on a walk right now and I'm hyperventilating. But yeah, I, I, I will, this is all to say like, I will write him, I will write him camp letter so that he writes a book like, like, like you yeah. did.
3: So my daughters are older, 21 and 18, and they did go to sleep away camp. And but they didn't really embrace sleepaway camp like I did and they didn't go till much later. And that's a whole nother thing. But so they didn't have letters really because they had, by the time they really went to sleepaway camp, they had their phone or they would get a printout like an email or a fax yeah. or something. And so after this whole experience, my oldest daughter Zoe is in college and I started writing her letters and I was just like, You know, I want to write her a letter once a week. And so I would write her a letter and she would get it. And she. I I think she was really liking it. But we were doing a Zoom event together one during the pandemic. And she was in her dorm at school and we were Zooming in for an event. And someone asked her, do you have any letters from your mom? And she said, I do. And she pulled down this box like right there. And this was totally like not planned. I didn't know it. And she said like, I have all the letters that my mom's written to me since I've been in college. And I was just, it meant so much to me because I really realized like she does, even though I'm not getting letters back from her, right? Like it's not about what you get, it's what you give. And I'm not, I'm not doing it to get. I'm doing it because I want her to have these for me. It felt like a full circle moment, but it also like touched my heart because I knew that like she really was so happy to have them. So anyone listening, Definitely write letters to your kids. I mean, I think there's three different kinds of letters and I, I talk a lot about that in my book, like how to write the letters and blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, just write from your heart. Write from your heart to the people that you love. And I don't think you can ever go wrong.
2: I, I will say and this I, I realize I should have that first of all, I think that's Exactly. I, I I will take that advice, and that is something that like I will now make a project of for my son's life.
3: And the baby book. I never filled out one page of the baby book. Me neither. I was oh, just like, didn't even say rough
2: day. I, I have. They're like my spines <laughs> yeah. are not
0: even cracked on these yeah. baby books. I have like five of them. It's
2: so <laughs> yeah. It's so sad seeing the like my first steps. I'm like, oh okay. So my grandmother didn't write letters. There's only one email that's in the book, and it was her first email, and it's perfect. She gave like a bad review of the Matisse exhibit at the Museum of Crafts and then a great review of the book Brooklyn that she had just read. It was just out. And it just perfectly captures her. But she did leave voicemails and that was her art form and it is a digital artifact that is impossible to to share and and to translate. And there's a picture in the book and I can I can show you on this the Zoom event of how I this is my Tupperware in the closet. This is how I, I save my grandma's voicemails. And it's why that if I get like four calls in a day, somebody's going to get the obnoxious, like the mailbox belonging to best caliber full. So this to this day is on my phone. It is, and you can see grandma Palm beach. And then like the various places where she live, grandma vineyard, grandma, grandma Scarsdale. And this is, this is my entire phone, like a, and i am not a hoarder i'm somebody who like even like when my son grows out of his shoes i'm like great there's like a box in the garage like i can't get rid of these and i can't delete them they're my they're my tupperware i also didn't listen to them when i was writing the voicemails for this book those were all like extrapolations they were from memory they were riffs on like what a voicemail would be and i've talked about this with zibby but the moment of like of going back the moment you had 20 years later of reading your mom's letters happened when my son was about 5 weeks old and i was recording the audiobook for for nobody will tell you this but me which was very emotional my agent was like, or my editor was like, it would be great to include one of the voicemails. Like, that's a smart thing to have in the audiobook. And I was like, totally, makes perfect sense, great. She was like, hey, it's been like two weeks and you haven't. I was like, yep, uh, sorry, baby. Like, it's full, like can She was like, what's going on? Can you send the voicemails? I was like, I can't listen to them. It's too painful. And so I sent my husband to the kitchen with our son and drew the curtains and the like blackout curtains in my son's room and sat down in the right, like the recliner chair. And it was like a very dramatic moment. I was like, I'm going to listen to them. And my husband runs into the room five minutes later because he hears me wailing and he like has the He's like, what's what happened? And I was hysterically laughing with like tears going down my face because they were so funny and they were so her. And like, I can't write comedy this good. One of the voicemails that she left was, "Hi, Bess, Grandma. Your mother says you have laryngitis. Call me back." And it's like <laughs> you didn't have a hundred comedy writers from like they would not come up with something like that. So this is to say I'm glad I went through that box, and I'm sad that I can't share them in the way that, but but also like having them in that little voicemail box is my is my special trove of treasures that I'll never get rid of.
0: slash moms don't have time.
3: I mean, amazing.
0: There's something also, I mean, not to make massive generalizations, but to your earlier point about like particularly Jewish grandmothers or Jewish mothers, or there is something similar. There is this common thread of recognition. Like even just sitting here chatting with the two of you, I feel like yeah. I, I, there's like stuff you don't need to even explain, right? It's just sort of like understood that would have happened. You know, no matter how different our individual relationships were, there's like that common thing. I'm sure every culture has something similar, but I, I feel like the unsanctioned sort of intrusiveness of opinion proffering, if you will, <laughs> might be something specific here. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> or what do you think makes it this particular our jewish matriarchs, so special
3: i mean i think it's you know my grandmothers were so real and they would say whatever they felt like they wanted to say as did my mom with our relationships so like our relationships were so and i'm like that with my daughters i mean you know We have real, honest relationships, we'll say all the things, but also, like, no one can push my buttons like my daughters, and vice versa. Like, I mean, I can push their buttons more than, you know, probably anyone, but at the end of the day, there's just such deep love, and it's just so real. But if I think about, like, my grandmother, every, so many letters that she, one of my grandmothers, Grandma Margaret, I have Grandma Margaret and Grandma Millie, but Grandma Margaret came from Germany, and her whole family, Sadly, my grandparents lost their family in the Holocaust. And you know, that was a whole nother layer of the importance that her grandchildren and we were her family. We were we were what she had. at every almost every letter she wrote, she would, you know, say all the things and then it was, Are you going to the bathroom? If you're not going to the bathroom, make sure you talk to the counselor. You know, like can you imagine like a 14-year-old girl going up to her counselor and saying, like, excuse me? Yeah. I mean, you know, but it was just her level of what she worried about with her grandchildren. You know, it's priceless, just like what you said, Bess.
2: I mean, it's exactly that that nudging, that over involvement, that like bodily involvement where it's more her body than yours at a certain point. Like, well, am I, are you wearing an undershirt? Was something that was just like breathing for my grandma. She would just say that. <laughs> I had a little drawer in my in my house that was like undershirts that I only opened when she was there. And I, I feel like, so my friend Jeff, who is a brilliant writer and grew up evangelical Christian in Northern California and never met a Jewish person before he moved to Los Angeles, read the, an early draft of the book and was like, she was so mean to you. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) Ref, you don't know what it's like to have a Jewish grandmother. That's love. (laughs) Like, that's the phrase, nobody will tell you this but me, is not something that she said in this, like, before dispensing wisdom. She said that before she was like, you'd be gorgeous if you went a little blonder. And that was exactly how she operated it was giving advice that was at once a criticism, but also said with full authority and in your best interest. And that's love, and it's a very Jewish thing. To a non-Jew, it can need some explanation, but we're amongst people right now who know exactly what we're talking about. Even the phrase, I am my mother's daughter, what you, like, that is a Jewish phrase. That's like, that's something that I just feel like I immediately know, I know who's saying that, and I know why.
3: And you know, I feel like we could talk about Jewish guilt here a little bit too. When we're talking about all of this, because all of these things that we've heard from our mother and our grandmothers, and they heard from their mothers and their grandmothers, you know, we can't deny the fact that sometimes it was laced with a little bit of guilt, right? Like, I mean, it's a real thing and, and passed on from one generation to the next, really, because we, the way we hear things and it was processed and then that maybe we would talk to our people and they talk to their people laced with a little bit of guilt I mean I've even found myself really trying to be so careful now when I talk to my daughters about things because I'm trying to be intentional about maybe like not passing on that Jewish guilt you know I mean we get so many beautiful things from our family members but I don't want to pass on yes the brown hair and the brown eyes but the Jewish guilt you know maybe maybe that can stop here a little bit
0: I'm trying to pass on my my fake highlights, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but they're beautiful. They look fabulous. My but. hair is just as dark as yeah. both of yours. FYI. Well, oh no, I'm, I'm so double gray that. I have to cover up the gray with the blonde.
2: <laughs> I'm double vaccinated, and so my first trip was a family related one, and my second one will be the hair salon to get these highlights back. <laughs>
0: I think you're right that with like my grandmother, I, I mean, there was no withholding of what she thought about my body and my weight and like yeah. anytime she saw me and every letter, it's like, I noticed this last, you know, I noticed on Passover, you've been putting on weight again. And I'm like, Ugh. I mean, <laughs> no, I just always look like this, you know, like this is maybe what I look like, you know, but I actually was so interested because she just passed away at 97. Never for a minute did she stop worrying about her body and yeah, yeah. i did this study actually study ish maybe 7 years ago when she was in her 90s and still going to curves and like you know every time we would go out she would be like ah dessert should i i don't know should i have this dessert i guess okay i'm going to cheat i'm going to have this chocolate cake and i'm like you're 90 years old have the cake what is the what are we waiting for here right. you know anyway but she would and and we would walk down the street and she would always say like does she look fat? Am I fatter than her or is she fatter than me? Like, every time. It's like, it's insane. insane. So I did this quick study, sorry, uh, to see if it was just my grandmother or everybody. So I did this little printout. I was a psych major in college. So I like, photocopied a survey. I had both my grandmothers in their nursing homes in Florida, put it in everyone's mailbox, like in the thing (laughs) to fill out and then hand it back to me. She was very popular that day. And it was something crazy. Like 70% of women were still weighing themselves all the time. And if you had an eating disorder when you were younger, like forget about it. You just like never got over it. But most people said they still felt guilty eating dessert. And I was like, I am not, I cannot do that. Like I cannot Live my whole life until I die worrying about chocolate cake. Yeah. So, anyway. I
2: think I need to, like, schedule just at my 60th birthday, God willing. I will just be like, and from now on, no more obsessing. Just get – it's only one pieces, which, by the way, it is now. But, <laughs> like – I feel like the weight thing is so that that was such a that was something that actually came out in the second draft of this book when I was like, okay, let's put the let's put the grittier parts of our relationship in because it was also something and that is something that Jeff picked up on in the early draft in the like compassion read from a nice person who has my side. He was like, this nagging you about like Bessie, you've had enough bread or like that's a lot of dressing on your salad. There's like a lot of that. I was like, yes, it was constant. And like, I'm also short. I'm five foot four on my, I'm five three, but on my driver's license, I'm five four. And so, like, a pound or two will show up. This is something that I'm saying because it's something that my grandmother said. You're short. You have a small frame like me. So, a pound or two on the wrong side. And you, and it all goes to your hips. And so, it's like, I am just she, like her project of that. Worked, And I have that. And I have to be so careful around my son as he grows up. And I can't imagine with daughters. But, like, knowing how I'm even catching myself now, like, in front of him because he's, he's starting to mimic everything that I do. And it is something in, in, in terms of what Dara is saying about what not to pass down. And the, I think the Jewish guilt around food is something that I really – I hope my kids – don't have at all the same relationship that I had to food and to guilt around it. And fortunately, I have a very chunky boy. Who's a, he's not two yet, so he's, he's allowed to be. But the, at the moment where, like, the second that he starts wondering, you know, what's wrong with him, I'll tell him how very right it is with him.
3: I love that. I, I think we can't, I mean, we can't discount the, the role that food plays in our culture, and I mean, my favorite memories of, some of my favorite childhood memories are sitting around like Friday night dinners at my grandma Millie's house where she literally made like the same meal every Friday night. And we would get together, my whole extended family, and we would sit at the table for hours and we would just talk about everything. And then we would watch Dallas, (laughs) because that was back in the day when Dallas was on. you know, it was just such beautiful family coming together at the table with, you know, amazing food. And even now, my recipes, I mean, that's something that I think is a really beautiful way to carry the past into the future. Even now, my daughters will say, you know, mom, will you make grandma Millie's chicken? And I love the fact that they're saying that because Basically, I mean my grandmother would love that. And I have her casserole dish. You know, one of the things that I really wanted to have were were the baking dishes that she used. And that's what I use when I make dinner and I make this chicken for my kids. And you know, to me that's just like such a beautiful connection of, you know, my grandmother and my daughter's great grandmothers. And, you know, we're all still woman to woman, one generation to the next, lador by door like passing it down, you know? Yeah. And I think it's so beautiful. Food. Yeah. food, and food is just such an important way and, and means to do that.
0: Was the meal you always had roast chicken and roast- Always
3: potatoes. chicken. I mean, mean, was there chicken. anything else? That's our meal, so. <laughs> chicken, salad, green beans, potato casserole, and then chocolate and vanilla cake that was purchased from Tallheimers department store back in the
2: day Mm, delicious but my grandma is her brisket for me like it's just it's it's brisket and I accidentally married a non-jew and had a (laughs) child with him and so the Christmas dinner that we have is my grandma's brisket (laughs) as the like as the like merging of the two cultures and it's such a special thing and and when I make it I think about her And I also think about that brisket and that relationship to food and the idea of like abundance and monitoring a granddaughter's weight as an expression of love and also as an equal and opposite reaction to the scarcity that came the generation before. You know, like this is also a common thread in in many immigrant stories. But, you know, my grandmother's mother escaped the pogroms in, in Belarus in the 1880s and came to this country and couldn't afford anything. And so my grandma grew up eating meat that had like because she had a cousin in the meatpacking district they, they they the like gristle and the awful and like what fell off the truck basically and so that she was able to monitor her like prized cows weight to make her marriageable and to like make her physically successful in the world was an expression of of luxury for her to to the idea that there would be too much food carried a lot of i think historical intergenerational importance But nevertheless, a teenager hearing it is like, okay, maybe rolls are bad, bread is bad, and that's unfortunately. But understand, as an adult who's who's past the teenage relationship to food, that I, I definitely see where she's coming from for that, and. And when I make her brisket, I only think about how proud she was to be able to put on her table in Westchester where she lived the food that her mother would have never been able to afford to make. And I'm I'm proud to serve that and be like, Christmas equal to my to my little blonde blue eyed son.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. It's like a double edged sword though too, because You had to eat whatever they made, but you couldn't gain weight from it, right? So if my grandmother had a chocolate roll or my other grandmother had this, like, amazing spongy, like, pound cake with, like, this thick, amazing frosting. Anyways, I'll stop, but clearly, (laughs) like, go make some cake or something. But, like, she would want you to eat at least a slice. And my mother, too, by the way. This is still, like, you know, if if she makes something, I'm eating it, right? But then, like, watch out. And to your earlier point, Bess, like, when you said, like, age 60, you're just going to stop obsessing you're actually not like you a day after you were at the end of 59. Like the only way to stop obsessing is to like work on it at some point. I've realized not that I have, but you know, that's what I hear because otherwise it just like doesn't go away. So, you know, I feel like as a kid, I was like, well, when you get old, like nobody cares what you look like. And I'm sure old people like don't have sex. And like, you know what, all these things I thought about old people are not true. You know.
2: <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. It it never ends. For us Jewish women, we are who we are till the end. We are our mother's daughters and our grandmothers' <laughs> granddaughters.
0: <laughs> Do either of you go. have new exciting writing projects going on or what are you working on now now that these wonderful books and best your book is on paperback and I see it everywhere now and everything, which is so exciting. What what's coming next for both of you guys?
3: Well, I've always wanted to write fiction. So I've been working on a fiction book the pandemic. And so I'm having a lot of fun with that. And then just writing, I feel like I'm writing and doing so many podcast interviews right now and doing fun events like this. But my youngest daughter is a senior. And so she's, this is, you know, close to the end of her senior year. And she's going to be going to school in the fall. And so I've also been really intentional about trying to be super present. And just, I believe there's you know, different seasons, if you will. And this is my season to sort of embrace, you know, any little bit of morsel of time that she's willing to to give to me. So, you know, I feel like it'll, the fiction, while I'm having so much fun working on it, it's, it's okay if it's not done right now, because that season will come, you know, but right now, I just want to be so present with my daughter.
2: I totally, that's, I, I'm like tearing up thinking about him going to college. He won't. I'll be I'll home college <laughs> He's going to this is very he's going to preschool in September and he's going to a JCC. He's going to a Jewish preschool. <laughs> so yes, that's what we do. But Uh, Yeah, no, I I feel the same way. We walk by it on the way to the coffee shop in our neighborhood. And I'm like, that's your school next year. But mama, mama, like, and and he's like, so excited. He sees the other kids. I'm like, but you don't have to go and mama will be right around the corner. (laughs) He's just like... So yeah, he's he's going away, and I'm I'm savoring it too. I am also writing a fiction book. I I should have like a, as a prop here. I have my old those old camp letters that we were talking about because they are a primary source for this book. It is they're they're on this massive. In pile, they're on one of the piles here. I'm like, I'm not a hoarder. <laughs> yeah, the it's just, it's notebooks and papers here. But I actually oddly have camp pictures of myself because this is like the age that I'm trying to channel into this next book, which is also my first fiction book, and it is told from the perspective the very opinionated, very young woman. And it is about a, it is a sort of true crime book about something that did happen in my town growing up, told from the perspective of a child. And I'm working on that. And I, as, as Marcy mentioned, am adapting Nobody Will Tell You This But Me into a film, which is very exciting. And in the hands of a lot of people who I trust, a team of women, which is very exciting. That was something that was important to me about going into the film space to have a female director was really important to have an older woman as the protagonist of a movie, an older Jewish woman who was not played for comic effect or caricature and was portrayed with tenderness and multifaceted sensitivity, I think is something that really could only be done by a woman. And so I'm super lucky to have an extremely talented director who's doing that. And that's the sort of, that's the whiteboard over here. And then couple of TV projects, and one of them is about, I I don't know if I can, it's about two Jewish women from a very, very, very long time ago, but it is about modern problems today. So I'm so excited about that, and I can't, and I'll, I can't wait to, I think, legally be able to say more about it, but I'm very excited.
0: Who are you going to cast as your grandmother? Have you thought about it?
2: That's the... A question and I'm just I'm so low on the I'm like the writer. I don't even know if I'm on the email <laughs> when it happens. I'm just like in this office being like, here's some dialogue and they're like, we'll we'll do what we want with this. But my grandma would say Meryl or nothing. <laughs> and so <laughs> But the the point is, and with with that conversation, there are so many amazing actresses of a certain age who would just nail this role and could like fully, I I feel like every time somebody says a name, I'm like, yes, definitely. Because I'm such a fan of like, of, of Broadway actresses and actresses who like, who can embody that grit and softness at the same time. And there are just so many, especially Jewish actresses. But yeah. So I'm I'm excited as a fan of movies and my grandma is a fan of movies. And one thing she always said in this book was my mother was always at the movies. So I feel like my great grandmother is excited to like sit in a movie theater alone and feel the air conditioning and watch this. And it'll just feel like a very full circle moment if, and when it finally happens in a world with where we're going to movie theaters as possible again.
0: And just to add one thing for my grandmother that I think is, I try to emulate is she had like this great sense of humor with me and with everybody. And sometimes I just remind myself not to take this whole thing too seriously. Yeah. I called her the one of the last times I called her before she started losing her memory. I was like, so Gagi, you know, what's up? Anything new? And she was like, well, I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Gagi, come on. Anyway, just we don't have to take lives so seriously. And I think that's one of the messages. Anyway, I love that. Yeah thank you thank you for having us
2: thank you everybody thank you so much
0: thanks for listening to part of my june book blast i hope you enjoy it come back tomorrow for more thanks again to today's sponsor the baby trend cover me four in one convertible car seat don't forget to enter my giveaway and the winners will be announced at the end of this week thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books